The Bizzle. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. Burn the land and boil the sea. You can't take the sky from me. All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the Bizzlecast commentary for the TV show Firefly. We are now on episode four, Shindig, which Maddie G and I both agree is the first great episode of the series, although we've really enjoyed everything so far. We just came back from seeing Bushwhacked, where they narrowly escape both the Reavers and the Alliance, and actually uh, uh, basically use the Reavers uh, accidentally to escape the Alliance. Um, the Alliance will be back but not in this episode. So uh, Matty G is going to be quarterbacking this episode. So Matt, uh, just lead us in with a short little intro and then we'll do a countdown into uh, Shindig. My pleasure. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Shindig. If you've made it this far, well done. You've gotten through the, the worst stuff. And I use the word worst in quotes because all of the Firefly episodes are very good. But Serenity was a pilot. And as good as it is, it is a pilot and, you know, people have mixed opinions of origin stories. The train job is another pilot that isn't even as good as the first pilot. And Bushwhacked is the darkest moment the show gets. We can finally leave all that behind and really get into the peak bunch of six, seven, eight episodes in a row that are really the the most perfect of, of the episodes. And the first one is Shindig. This is far and away the funniest episode up until this point. There will be a couple later that are funnier, but this one is so, so, so funny. And it's one of the things that makes it so rewatchable. So many things that work about this show in general, you will see uh, manifested in this episode. And it's really, really one of my favorites. Yeah, and and I I just want to add two quick things, man, um, to for listeners to look for before we jump in, and then we'll jump in. Well, the first is that Whedon has never said this specifically about his TV shows, but my theory about Firefly and his better shows is that he tries to make one or two, you know, film level quality. A moment or, or scene in every episode and then just do really good TV and the rest of it and it brings up everything and in this one it's not just the ball and, um, in general but the dancing and the ball in particular is better than most types of dancing scenes you would see in, in any movie let alone a genre movie um, and that would be something to talk about the other one is th- that this episode you know starts to flesh out the, the most intense and unrequited uh, relationship that's not Simon and Kale um in the series and we also just have you know a set of scenes with what's arguably the most lived in and comfortable adult relationship on a series like this in wash and zoe i think and absolutely even though they have bumps along the way later you know i mean they really uh, anchor the crew even though they don't really realize it just by being themselves um and so those are my two thoughts ahead of time do you want to respond to that and then I'll, I'll, i'll count us in all I would add is that Joss Whedon, I think, really likes scenes where he can 
he can be opulent to for lack of a better word he did a uh, two years ago he did a black and white kind of modern remake of much ado about nothing and from his house um, he filmed it yeah his from his house yeah. and there is a party scene uh in that that was widely praised raved about as this gorgeous moment in a very well done movie but really just the way he likes i think just doing parties um, mm-hmm. Even in Ultron, I think that opening party scene oh, is yes. one of the strongest scenes in the whole movie. Um, and this is a party episode. And the, yeah. the way he gets to you know choreograph the dancing and the light and the music, I think there is something that just speaks to the artistic side of him that he just really likes. I mean, you know, Summer Glau he found because she was a dancer. That was her background. And I'm certain that was one of the things that helped – sell her to him as the the future river even though he first cast her for angel but he wanted a ballerina and that's who he got with summer glow all right cool man that sounds good so we'll uh count the people in remember everyone get your uh your file or dvd into zero minutes uh zero hours zero minutes zero seconds you can count from three to one say go you should hit the uh, play with us at that moment have subtitles on if you want some uh ambient sound for the music or whatever that's cool but definitely get the subtitles and uh yeah matt can't wait to do this um this episode with you so we'll get into the countdown yeah. i'm looking forward to it let's go three two one go All right, so this episode begins in almost identical fashion to the train job. As we're about to find out, one of the reasons that I don't like the train job all that much is because this scene is better. But we have the crew in a bar. I said in train job that nobody can choreograph drunken bar fights quite like Joss Whedon can. And this is really a very, very well done drunken bar fight. Um, it's very funny. It does some character explaining. It sets up a theme that Inara is going to call Mal out on towards the end of the episode. Um, and even in the ways it gives Jane a little bit of character because even he isn't quite so bad that he's willing to buy into this slave labor as a potential way to make money. Even he is playing this guy so they can fuck with him later. You know, even he has enough of a conscience to think this is beyond what I'm willing. This is too much. This this is evil. Well, I want, um, one quick thing I want to point out about Mal, even uh, and we need to start maybe talking about this, man, especially since recording this around uh, Star, the Star Wars time of year, um, is that, you know, Mal is a, a is a dark mirror version of Han Solo. Well, he's darker mm-hmm. in some ways and he's less dark in some ways. You know, in the original Star Wars, you know, controversially, George Lucas changed the scene with Greedo for Greedo to shoot first and then Han Solo. And so, you know, right. the, the war cry of us nerds is Han Solo always shoots first. The question is, does Mal Reynolds, and by the way, I love that Inara is helping them rob here because she has no choice. Mm-hmm. Um, it, does Malcolm Reynolds always shoot first? Like, would he have started a fight with this guy uh, if he wasn't a slaver? Uh no, I, w- I would actually say no. Probably and here not. we get into the fight. This is when it gets it's into great. really amusing. I mean, later in this episode, Inara will say, you run away all the time. And he says, well, yeah, but I'm not running away this time. So no, he will not always confront the people he dislikes. It- it's just when the opportunity presents itself some- and he feels like it, sometimes he will. Um Adam Baldwin's physicality is spectacular from, yeah. from the first and episode this, through I, the movie. Boom. 
that sight gag of the guy yeah. getting thrown into the mirror <laughs> is so funny yeah. and it's a great way to get into the theme song uh-huh. i um, actually prefer the the fight scene in train job um just because really? yeah i like that he's picking the fight because it's independence day or whatever they call it and and it just stresses you know mal not hiding the fact that he was a brown coat um right that one he is more han solo-y in starting a fight that he didn't need to start um I also like that Jane pretends in the, that one that he's not going to help. And then, of course, he helps. I like the ship coming up from nowhere and pretending it's going to like fire all of its lasers, even though it has completely no armament whatsoever. I uh, just think there's mm-hmm. more going on. Although, this one was key for establishing that Inara would actually come hang um, in, in, exactly. in her normal gear in a shady bar, specifically to keep an eye on them almost, right? Like a mom. Like her and Kaylee are like the moms of the crew, it seems like to me. Pretty much. I mean, they are certainly the ones who I think sometimes have to ground the uh, male characters on the show a little bit um, in the same way that uh, Zoe and Wash have to ground each other a little bit. Um, yep. So this is it. I mean, you think this is going to be a big relationship episode for them, but it, it is, but it's just them hanging out, you know? And I think that's important. And again, as, as Matt talked about in the intro, this is the first sort of non-dark episode. You know, we get sort of positive relationships and uh, have more time to just kind of... And this is the sort of, you know, easy feeling that the movie can't have in its frenetic pace, right? This, this mm-hmm. scene right here can never have in the movie. And, and in today's science fiction, we just don't get very much, you know? This just sort of meditative shooting the shit on the bridge making jokes yep. you know enjoying not being dead you know the lived in quality that mm-hmm. that we talked about especially uh, last episode in bushwhacked you know the sense that these people just talk to each other and interact with each other and just sort of <laughs> live um define rough n- oh god oh god we're all gonna die <laughs> <laughs> now this moment speaks is a callback to the pilot in that great. When he is with, when she's with that client in in it, and that guy professes love for her, and she's uncomfortable, but she's also not really affected by it. Yep. This scene makes it clear that pretty much everybody that she contracts with, that she takes on, treats her this way. That they all talk to her the same way, they all treat her the same way, and it doesn't mean anything to her because she knows it's just her companion training yep. uh, that makes them wax poetic and fall madly in love yeah Um, and in fact the only other time i think we see her with a naive boy from here on out is in the janestown episode where she's able to subtly manipulate him to screw over his dad and let them go Um, right exactly who hates jane this guy is so obviously a douche right off the bat, but the writing and Inara, um, played by Miranda background, do a lot of work to make it believable why she would briefly entertain a guy like that. Right. Um, and, and or man, why at least contract with him. I yeah. mean, look at the jealousy here on Mal. This is so great. This is, I mean, this is a huge part of the show. Is there Han? I mean, this is so Han Leia, right? I mean, their, their, their rapport is very Han Leia, I think, intentionally. And he says in this episode, I don't respect what you do. He doesn't respect you. He doesn't even see you. And I, there is something he doesn't like. And maybe it is jealousy of, right. you know, I want to be with this woman. And all of these men get to be just because they can pay her. Um, Although I don't think he ever really admits it to himself until much later in the show. No, I don't think so either. But I think that is kind of what is going on with his character yeah. of... You know, I am in love with a person 
and sexually attracted to, yeah. among other things, among other <laughs> kinds of ways attracted to her, this person yeah. who sleeps with other people for money, and I, you know, I don't know how to deal with that. Well, you know, remember, it's, yeah. it's not even necessarily rational, but you know, this show makes it clear that when you're in love, you don't always act rationally. That's what a lot of war story is about, and it's makes sense why Wash will behave that way, yep. even if it's crazy. You know. I remember how you talked about him giving her a discount because she knew that she had leverage because she could help them look more legitimate than they are and get them out of sticky situations. Exactly. But that's not the only reason he gave her a discount, I think it's safe to say. And as a t- I'm telling you, man, as someone who's owned a house that I share with people, men and women for the last six years, you got to mm-hmm. be really, really careful. What t- if you're a, if you had a sexual man, what type of women you let into your, your, your house, you know, it can be i mean really distracting it can be you know you have to sort of recognize that that potential ahead of time that and that's why she leaves ultimately at the end of the show you know is that they both should have recognized their attraction earlier on and realized that it was dangerous for both of them or or at least that's how they see it i I never (laughs) see oh here we go (laughs) i'll chip in i could hurt you sorry i'll try not to be dr drew i tend to hone in on the relationship stuff I'll, i'll go easy on it well and we've said this before, and we'll say it again and again and again. The relationship stuff at the core of Firefly is what makes it so memorable. It's what people love about it. The mythology of the Alliance and the brown coats and no the Reavers. Cares. Yeah, nobody cares. It's you know that was the only way to make a movie about this. You know, to wrap this story up was uh... to wrap up the story. But why I keep going back to this is the humor and the characters. Uh, you know, that's what I love. And I think that's what most people who like this show like about it, you know, is to watch these people just spend time with each other. Um, <laughs> she mad or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, Whedon's going to Alan Tudyk. Hey, can you act like this? He's going to Philly and Hey, can you act like this? And here comes here comes our buddy but i think dude before we get to this i think adam baldwin he'd be like hey man just just be yourself yeah <laughs> you know in every single scene adam baldwin's going what, what should i do just, just be yourself baldwin i love the way uh, that like act- they hated baldwin at the time though sorry uh, it's from, from what, maybe they just don't say it. i don't know yeah. I, i've never yeah looked for interviews so go talk about, about uh, that go talk about about badger who we love yeah yeah badger played by the amazing nerd character actor Woo-hoo. mark shepherd yes. whose credits include battlestar galactica and doctor who and supernatural and x files and he was on an episode of voyager I, he just these are all the things that he does um and by the way i mentioned and, in the previous one i'm gonna let you go on him for a while i mentioned that he was on battlestar and made a three episode arc in late season three work that shouldn't have worked but he also came back for two hugely important cameos in season four and made two season four episodes that m- might not have worked otherwise uh with his with his short appearances i mean he he just immediately felt real in that galaxy and he immediately fe- feels real in this galaxy go ahead yeah he just inhabits these roles this sequence one of the th- <laughs> what happened did he see your face <laughs> and he's smiling it's clear that these actors are making each other laugh yes. and when they do laugh it's actually believable yep. this show I, I don't know why more p like tv shows don't get this if you show characters laughing at what each other are saying totally. and it's actually funny and you uh, buy that they find it humorous it goes so far to explaining yeah. <laughs> pretentious yeah. you know the way they're 
this interaction is just yeah. gold. This, it's just oh, yeah. it's so well done. I talk the about way- my Guardians commentary that Zoe Saldana is constantly trying not to laugh, and they're having to go off her face because between Drax and Chris Pratt, she just can't stop. I completely right. agree with you. Yeah, they're cracking each other up, and, that, and Joss Whedon creates that atmosphere because he's hilarious too. Yeah, I you know, and then this scene, this is going to set the plot, but it's also going to establish a tone, and it's going to make a balls joke. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Is this also the episode where they come up with the elaborate plan, and then they, all they need is a distraction, and then River comes and distracts him, and then and that's Adam Baldwin. later. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you couldn't buy an invite with a diamond the size of a testicle, and I got my hands on a couple. What <laughs> other sci-fi property is going to make a balls joke in the middle of explaining the plot? That's I've said before. There are a couple of moments and images that are like Firefly in a nutshell. That feels so Firefly to me, um, is Mark Shepard and Adam Baldwin and Nathan Fillion laughing about a testicle joke mm-hmm. in the middle of explaining what the plot of this episode is. Okay, um, so unlike Star Wars, which because of its premise gets around having to explain or justify any technological advances or, or devices, this mm-hmm. does take place in the future, I think, what, 500 years or so in the future? Eh, something like that, yeah. So there, it's further in the future than Star Trek. They've gone way less far, obviously. It's more believable, though, in a lot of ways. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, it, Joss Whedon nevertheless takes the Star Wars approach of only using it when it matters and otherwise not really caring right i mean pretty much yeah, yeah. they have a gun scanner who cares you know right. sure but you know they executed. have belts, so great. they use it to make a floating chandelier why not you know oh, i love the floating chandelier yeah it's gorgeous and it there's a point of this is a, a demonstration of wealth and power this is not a functional technological achievement this is expensive so we have it because we want to show how wealthy we are i have a theory about the show man we don't have to go fully into now which is that the only reason he felt like he needed to do a sci-fi show here is because the feeling of a getaway on a spaceship is just so satisfying right like the feeling of the enterprise getting away or the millennium falcon getting away or the firefly getting away is so satisfying it's not just like taking horses and riding for 10 miles right so uh, Mm -hmm. that's part of why i think he did it part of it's to have kaylee be an engineer It'd be hard to fit her in, and then I mean, if she's the perfect sci-fi character. I believe she went to Stargate for a while after this. Um, I don't know what's happened to her since then, um, but uh, yeah, I, my, my whole point was just as the perfect amount of you know using sci-fi to make things interesting and to, and to throw curveballs into the scenarios, but not really linger on it too long. Here we go, this douchebag. Oh my god, absolutely. And but even this guy manages to at least make his point. You know you. You buy his character and that he's an asshole and he doesn't love her, but you you do sort of take him seriously as wanting to offer something to her that he probably wouldn't offer to any companion. You know, you do – maybe he doesn't love her, but he – I don't know. He, he does think highly of her. I mean, he's, he's possessive. He's terrible. But so I, there is something magnetic a little bit yes. about him, I guess. Yes. That piece of gossip. It's a piece of gossip. Yeah. Gossip means shit. In case you yeah. guys didn't figure that out. Um, you want a fun time. Oh, start here we by, go. <laughs> try to figure out what some of these phrases in Mandarin means. There's, they mean yeah. things like yak piss and baboon's ass. and things. They're really weird insults. Yeah. Son of a motherless goat, if you've ever seen uh, The Three Amigos. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but um, 
I will say, man, I mentioned this off mic. He, uh, the actor who plays Atherton in Children of Dune, which was a very weak sequel to the quite good Dune miniseries, we agree. Um, there's two great things about that miniseries, Ch- uh, Children of Dune. One is James McAvoy and his twin sister as the, mm-hmm. uh, the twin, uh, d- uh, children of, um, of Paul Atreides. And I actually really like Atherton as the Gola reborn version of Duncan Idaho in the crazy Alia, the, the younger sister of Muad'Dib who had taken yep. over who was losing her mind. Those two were great together. I actually liked him in that. I like him in this less, but you know, playing a douchebag, playing a lovable douchebag is such a high level of difficulty that like Bradley Cooper and wedding crashers is like one of like three examples ever where you love Mm -hmm. the douchebag. You're you're supposed to hate the douchebag, but I will argue, Matt, you can answer this or not. There's a beautiful chandelier um, that this actually, even though it brings out a comfortable side in Inara, makes you like her less, not just for liking him, but for being part of this, this, you know, really super, superficial society and being so comfortable in it i guess i don't know i i never dislike anara's character i think even she recognizes the ways in which this is a performance this is a ritual almost this is a you know a code Uh-oh. of expected behaviors and nothing else i love that she loves strawberries i love strawberries i'm the same way with good strawberries but again, this is a character. This isn't just a gag. You know, they set up in Serenity yep. that Kaylee really likes fruit. Um, and no, again, strawberries in particular. The orgasmal yeah, exactly. faces with strawberries, yeah. She, she, um, Captain. Yeah. You know, she doesn't, she wants to dress pretty. She thinks that that's neat. But when she sees the fruit, that's what really her eyes light <laughs> yeah, up for. Because yeah. she likes fruit. Oh, and I mean, go. that's fine, whatever. Here we you got to figure fresh fruit has got to be hard to come by on planets like this. Yeah. Um, what I like about the way, way River is always just ho- hovering is that they're not purposefully trying to ignore her. They just don't know what to do with her. Exactly. And so, you know, it sometimes seems like they're neglecting her, but they just don't really know. Plums are tall. Yeah. This is the classic, uh, do we just play chess and poker or do we come up with something completely ridiculous? And they came up with someone, something eh, mildly ridiculous. Oh, here we go. Oh, this is great. I think apparently somebody did try to figure out what the rules of this game must be and they couldn't do it. This is a thing, um, by the way, by the way, with uh, really mentally disturbed people hate logos and labels. This is, I'm not making oh. this up. I've read this in other sci-fi psychological stuff and this is part of why the OD bar is the thing that triggers her. And, um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It is the, the, the uh, uniformity and almost oppression of, you know, the, the, the label and the logo is something that actually causes great stress to people. It's possible that causes stress to all of us, but definitely causes stress to <laughs> mentally disturbed people. Here we go. Maybe they're just the only ones who are kind of more aware of how distressing it is. Yep. Um, do you think Whedon did that intentionally or he just, or just kind of a happy accident that it turns out that that's actually a thing that uh, people who have mental illness don't... <laughs> It's cheating. I don't know if I noticed that before. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it, it was not connected to... Play cards? I don't think he was thinking of Odie Bar, if that's what you mean. But I do think he was... This is a very anti-capitalist, anti-corporatist, anti-materialist oh, sure. tale, you know? I mean, the only reason they want money other than Jane is to survive, right? I mean... What? Oh, here we go. And there's actually... Uh, Lucky man, Alan Tudyk. He knows it, too. 
Mm-hmm. It's so funny when uh, Gina Torres is a very private person. She doesn't like to do the commentaries and stuff. Mm-hmm. But whenever the you know if you've heard the Serenity Firefly commentaries, every time she come on comes on str- uh, on screen, Whedon and Nathan Fillion, who are being alpha males, are the ones who basically talk the most. Are always like, "Man, is she an ugly woman? That woman is just yeah. not attractive." Shame about her face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, shame about her face. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and they're like oh, that Lawrence Fishburne Morpheus is one lucky man <laughs> <laughs> do you remember she's in she's a very small but good role and she plays yeah. uh, the sister-in-law of uh, of uh, Link yeah I couldn't remember what other black guy's name was but yeah yeah, 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 yeah I remember him I remember actually Dozer was her husband I, he dies and yeah. uh, uh, Cypher kills him in their initial main checks doesn't have a whole lot to do no. basically she holds the bazooka for uh Link's no that's uh, not sister. her no no that's not it's not no oh she has nothing to do no she's uh, just a family yeah she's nothing to do she's just a family no that's Nona Gay that's Marvin Gaye's daughter she's so gorgeous that's Nona yeah. Gay playing Z in that role yeah, yeah Z is go. her sister or stepsister and she's yeah also I love this moment. Yeah. Someone less attractive now. This is all <laughs> corpsified and gross. Uh, that was the poem, right? The the yep. bad poem. Yeah, they've got great chemistry. Who who would have thought? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh oh, here we go. I love this. This because this is such a this is such a Jane Austen moment coming up here. I mean, I'm not even a big Jane Austen fan, but I I understand thematically what the books are about, and uh, and Kaylee would definitely would be a heroine in that in that society. And these girls for sure. coming up or at being least she the, wants yeah. I mean this episode has three different characters realizing the ways in which the worlds they think they belong to they belong in they don't um, you know that Inara I don't know how seriously she ever considers Atherton's offer to stay here as full-time companion or, or whatever the the title would be. But she realizes that she doesn't really belong in this high-class world, even that if that's what her training is. Zoe realizes that it, that this lifestyle she's kind of fantasized about, at least a little bit. I don't think she longs for it, but I think she's thought from time to time about what it would li- be like to be able to wear beautiful clothing all the time and have fresh fruit all the time, how empty and pointless it is. And Mal kind of realizes the ways in which maybe it doesn't fit in anywhere, but... Uh, you know, certainly that this is not, if he wants to reach Anara, it can't be by pretending he could ever fit into this world either. Um, and Anara points out, well, you don't fit in anywhere. And that kind of question is left unresolved. And I think that's a strength that they don't resolve it because you can't answer, well, where do you belong? But I love this uh, makes uh, it, I'm sorry. I, I I just this makes me smile every time. You feel so bad for Kelly, but you realize everyone of intelligence there, you know, is immediately drawn to her. Yeah, and we've talked about how Kaylee teaches Mal that, um, or well, sort of, Nara teaches him that that people on both sides can be good. But this idea that nobody is uniformly bad or good, that neither side was a hundred percent right or wrong. Yeah. This episode is another example of that in that there are people of moral strength and people who are completely empty and pointless <laughs> in this world that even this world has good people and bad people it indicates lordship and it's doing a good yeah. job <laughs> this guy this actor's name is drake right larry yes, drake something yep. like that i gotta pull it up here his name is larry drake he's great in this movie you know he can't stand mal but he way can't stand athelton you know yeah 
you've messed up his in, his face, and you that's endeared me him you to me somewhat. Uh, you might even give him a fight before he guts you. <laughs> actually, in recent history, he's best known as a uh, voice actor in the various Star Wars video games. So. Is he? I, I can buy that. His yeah. voice is very familiar sounding. Yeah. Um, no, no, I that's think calling it's also so psychotic low life community. Well, do you remember remember the 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 uh, older Iranian uh, admiral in Star Trek Beyond that's in the beginning and end? Um, yeah, we had both recognized. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was because uh, I had, something like that. Yeah, because her voice is like one of the main characters in the Mass Effect games, and so it was so bizarre. I like, like I knew who she was. I'd never seen it before. Here we go. Mm-hmm. This is it. This is like the accidental double date, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> This is a moment ah, where... Can I call you F? <laughs> you know, he's grabbing her too hard. Clearly, he is incredibly self-conscious and feels intimidated by this guy. Um, you know, it's this interesting case, though, of we didn't like Bushwhack's conclusion because he just got lucky and the, the Reaver guy escaped. You know, he had no way to know that she was going to be here. And even if she was... He was here on business because a guy put a gun to his head and say, go get me this deal. So, um, you know, this almost Shakespearean uh, kind of just sequence of of misfortunate events uh, is kind of interesting. I'm not sure it works 100%. It's executed extremely well. Um, But this scene plays like a play. You know, this feels Shakespearean of just everybody comes together at the critical scene, you know, at the party unsurprisingly they said this scene took fucking forever i mean i bet you know um, i mean talk about the avengers spinning shot scene i mean they're going through tons of people who are dancing here and Mm -hmm. they must be cutting left and right but you can't tell so they're always exactly where they need to be and they look the same so you can't tell where the cuts end this is just brilliant filmmaking i talk about how like just we had done other things but if you'd just done firefly and serenity that would have been enough to land him the the uh, avengers job I, I think um well, i have a I question for you about more art- oh, oh, sorry go ahead i think this was the most artistic show he did you know buffy it was also the most cinematic i thought yeah yeah probably you know buffy made him a name it made several yeah. actors you know it started them out uh, yeah. who would go on to have great careers i mean look angel is nondescript look, in, um, in 2005 i liked revenge of the sith more than you did but it's undeniable that serenity on like a, a third i'm sorry a sixth of the budget looked 10 times better in the same year the serenity movie <laughs> that revenge and the star wars fucking movie did um right and you know a, a bazillion times more interesting engaging <laughs> and funny can i ask you a question about inara actually sure because for me what's great about inara is it's seems like she's got it all together but she doesn't and the fact that she's entertaining atherton mal's actually right here like mal's not right to like get it in her business unnecessarily although he doesn't see it that way but mal's right right from the beginning that he's a dick and yeah and i I think that what what makes um and can call her marina what makes inara's character amazing um is that is together she is and, and, and intelligent and, and centered at times. <laughs> here they are. Uh-oh, here comes the confrontation. Is that, like Mal, she hasn't thought as far as maybe they should have thought ahead. And that's something they criticize about each other, actually, throughout the series, is being short-sighted for all their bluster and confidence or whatever. Here we go. Uh, uh, right this is the prostitution thing man and this is why they needed this episode this is where they define why this it's not just prostitution (laughs) right 
But when Inara tells Mal you did goad him into saying something, she's right about that. They what makes their relationship work is they see through some of the bravado that they each have. You know, Inara is putting on a face. You know, she is putting on a persona. But she does enjoy it. She could leave any time if she wanted to. That's true. But that doesn't mean she doesn't have habits and tendencies that aren't even the best for her and somebody else. Use of a sweat. That's a Whedon thing of not saying what it's a sweat. Um, Right, which is yeah. why I said, you know, doing commentary for Whedon movies is almost a shame because you can't, you can't, you know, replicate their Taipei the way they drop the jokes. Sure. I mean, can I uh, bring in a little bit of yes. canon that's never made it into the movie or the show? Okay, wait, can so, I just put a disclaimer on this? Yeah. So Matt and I had a conversation about this because he's this brought This isn't up, from the comics. Oh, this it's not from the comics. Oh, that's else. fine. That's fine. So we are going to talk about the show and the movie as one thing and then anything else out of that. It, it may be canon, but we'll refer to it as other canon or something. Go ahead. Yeah. So what it turns out is the deal with Inara is the reason she left Sinan is she has a fatal genetic condition. It's never explained what the disease is, but she's dying and she knows she's dying and she knows. Who, Inara's she's gonna, dying? Yeah, Inara. Really? This is something we didn't envision for a character. What? Morena Baccarin revealed it at a 10 year re- uh, reunion special that was just sort of like a Comic Con presentation. Um, but she's dying and she left Sinan because she wanted to see the world before she died and I think this episode and Morena knew this when she took the role this was told to her um there's a line in Out of Gas where she says I don't want to die now we think it's because they are on a ship that's about to you know run out of air and power but it's also bringing in this backstory that we never get to find out and I think this episode makes her question do I want to keep pretending to be part of this world if the reason I left this very formal upscale training, you know, that I would have gotten on Sinan and would have had me in this world forever because these are the people who contract with companions, is this really how I want to spend the time I have left? Um, but this is a thing I like too, is that just because Mal knows how to fight doesn't mean he knows how to use his sword. Oh, yeah. There are so many examples, not that I can think of any, of course, uh, of shittier science fiction or shittier fantasy where the guy is a rogue and he just happens to know how to use every different kind of weapon he might ever face. Well, no, even Luke there's has no to reason. Learn. Right. There's no reason a guy who's a soldier in a future war would know how to use a, a foil, you know, would know how to fence. So the idea that uh and that's why june is the most brilliant r- realization ever of why that's necessary and possible is that the only thing to get through a personal shield is a knife pushed at exactly. just the right angle and speed right but that's because and they're training him to know to do that i mean we don't see him get a lot of knife training except for the one scene with gurney halleck which is like look down there's my knife you're dead but clearly they are warning him you may need to know how to use knife combat even in this future world with force fields and atomic bombs and, and uh, oh, prescient yeah. hyperspace travel, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, well, that's why it's hard for him using the Chris knife. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they think Paul is it, the guy who challenges Paul when they first joined the Fremen. They think mm-hmm. he's just playing with him, but the problem is he's used to fighting against shield pe- shielded people, which is different than fighting just knife to knife with no shields. And right. so he's actually not toying with him, and he has to learn how to fight both ways against you know people with shields and without. And exactly. one of those things in the TV and movie that we'll talk on another podcast I don't think can be pulled off. This is a great scene. Go for it, buddy. Right. I mean, this is where these two 
confront each other. You know, a lot of the confrontation between these two characters happens in this scene. You know, there's this, there's a little bit of further exploration in Heart of Gold, but this is where a lot of the dynamics between these two gets laid out. And even if they don't say, I love you or whatever, this is as close as they come to ever really expressing how they feel to each other. Now, in Heart of Gold, when um, Mal sleeps with uh, uh, the madam of the, the Heart of Gold brothel, I can't remember the character's name. Uh, Inara oh, weeps. yeah. I can't wait for that. Yeah. Uh, what the heck is that? Anyway, we'll get to Inara it. Yeah. weeps afterwards, yeah. and clearly she is feels extremely... That episode is good. That's the thing. In my mind, I always think it's not great, but whenever I think about it or watch it, it's really good. There's so much good stuff going on in Heart of Gold. We'll get to that. Interesting thing, though, that Inara knows how to fence, and it does... You know, she's I have said I'm not crazy about the idea. Of, yeah, she's got the... Or it's a bow and arrow. Um, but she knows this very elegant formal form of combat and you got to wonder why would a prostitute know how to do that it does make her character a little more interesting because it does seem like she knows how to sword fight because of her companion training which yeah and that was something that again communicated to me so well when i saw serenity having not seen firefly was that why does this you know geisha know how to fight but it would make sense that like archery and sword fighting would be things they would train at at their house because they're dealing with men but the whole point of that is that they have an upper hand on those men and so if the men don't listen to them they have to be able to defend themselves (laughs) sorry again really fun i mean i i could also without getting really deep on freudian psychology make some kind of comment that a woman holding a sword is kind of erotic because the sword is a phallic object yeah, i, I mean yeah. so maybe it's some men would find it arousing to watch women's sword play i don't okay, know here we go I mean, this is it you're watching the series you're not sure if summer glow is just good at doing one thing or not ex- exactly and we didn't i didn't want to ruin it <laughs> um what Whedon has said about this scene is that what River does to distract Shep Badger is turn all of Badger's insecurities back on himself. And he finds it attractive, uh, too, which is great. Yeah, yeah. I like her. I just throw it up. Here we go. She does a great English accent for a young woman. And it's amazing that he, she just turns on a dime. Just like that. She's looking up. And I guess just listening to him talk and then she just snaps and turns around and all of a sudden she's shadow call Titan colony um, and can do this cockney accent um, and just reads him so well, maybe because she is psychic and can sense some things about him. Yeah. But you know, maybe it's just, she's intuitive. She does. Um, It says a pretty good Sarah Manning here. Yep. (laughs) Look at Jane. He's turned on by it, but he's not sure why. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right, spent some time in lockdown, but less than you claim. Yeah, and this is good acting by Mark Shepard. You know, this is him visibly looking disarmed, uncomfortable. You know, scared on some level that this, even if he is also sexually maybe a little attracted, but he doesn't know how to handle this woman who he's never met, who knows everything about him, um, and doesn't have the guts to stop her. Uh, I like her. What's he say? I I like her. Here it comes. And then I this love that show, Adam Baldwin. He's so great at comedic time tonal bait shifts. Exactly the kind of diversion we could have used. <laughs> oh, here we go. This is the sword fighting that's not actually sword fighting. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, this, this is uh, 
sword fighting as a way to get out some of their frustrations with the with each other you know yeah oh here it is thrust with the point yeah we didn't we didn't uh uh, uh, yeah, he, which is he resists language. I he mean, resisted. if you don't think there's double entendre in in that statement, yes, whether he or not, resists I, making a specific joke about it, which I which I appreciate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is the sexier part right here. Right. They teach you that in horror academy, though. I mean, uh, yeah. he doesn't. I like that in these relationships, they say the wrong things to each other. They piss each other off. You know that they're not everything is great all the time that these two really have very complex feelings for each other that they don't know how to get past. And maybe they never figure out how to get past it, even in serenity. And I think that's Mm -hmm. maybe dissatisfying, but utterly more realistic. Sorry. She's right here. Yeah. Right. He can't get, he can't get along with non-criminals. He can't get along with criminals. Right. And you think following the rules will make, and they both clearly are affected. They know each other is right. Um, and she's affected here because she can see this is him being as as honest as he's maybe ever been with her. You know, he can't come out and say how he feels about her, but he can at least say this. Um, and and that yeah. does seem to get to her. It it, it mm-hmm. abates some of her anger, yep. which is completely justified anger. I'm not saying she's being shrill or mean. She is pissed at him probably for ruining a deal for her. I mean, and this is, you know. and what you just said is, is mirrored comedically at the end of our Mrs. Reynolds in two episodes where you think they're about to make a huge breakthrough after, you know, she kisses him thinking he's dead and she falls and he doesn't realize what actually happened. And you know right. what I mean? And, and then there's sort of a lull through the series where they just don't really get along for a while. And then towards the end, they start re-exploring it. Yeah. And I think, you know, the Mel and our relationship was the one thing that got sort of short shrift in the movie, but I understand why they did it there is so, so many balls in the air already and i think whedon has never been someone who believes he needs to pay off the fans in some capacity and having them actually get together and in the comics they do get together the post serenity comics yeah. um is not something he ever felt was necessary that if he could conclude their story in a way he felt was satisfactory the fans would forgive him and he's right to think this if they don't get everything they want, you know, make telling a story is not about giving the listener everything the listener wants. It's about telling your story. And I think he felt like he told that story enough. Um, and for the, for the, uh, nerds out there, you know, I love fantasy. These are totally not the kinds of swords you'd be using in a duel, but that's fine. You need them to be bigger and louder to make it more dramatic. Normally they'd be using rapiers or rapiers, um, yeah, or, which are, or yeah. foils. I or mean, they could be right. using those real well, rapier is just a foil. That's, that's solid metal and doesn't bend, but it's long, yeah, these long are and like- thin. Ornamental longsword kind of thing. Because when you're fighting someone without armor at at close range, you don't need a huge blade to skewer them and kill them. Boom. Oh, that's a nice move. I'm not. It's it's interesting. You have kind of Warwick and uh, Inara as doing play by play, and they are kind of saying everything that's that's happening. That's funny. I never thought about that. And I'm not sure if you need it, but it definitely does help. Um, cause I think there's maybe the is a little bit good more. enough. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's, I, I'm great without the sword fight, but I'd rather have more character stuff going on. Look at him. Yeah. Yeah. He's really and different than this guy. Set up, you know, if Inara was saying nothing and then she just started talking to Atherton at the end and that's how this fight ends, that would feel a little bit weird and maybe unearned. So to have her be speaking the whole time, yeah. um, 
definite, I think uh, it pays off here. And then ultimately, how oh, does Mal win? This doesn't make he's sense. Sort of, this goes against yeah, the rules. He sort of, of cheats. Yeah, they totally <laughs> cheat. Know, he turns it into yeah. a bar fight, basically. Yeah. But a pretty funny one. It is. But the fact that she she cheats and he cheats and they let I mean, I think it, yeah. the bigger idea is it's they're just waiting for the asshole that no one likes to, to go down. They're yeah, looking, I do get the sense maybe none of them like him very much. Because no, they, they all walk away. He's right. screaming at them. So this, of course, is a mirror, weirdly, of the Paul, Paul Atreides thing, not finishing the guy. Right. You know, when he says he's killed a dozen men with a long blade, you're the only one who's given him a reason. He seems like the which Harrow says earlier, I think Harrow's kind of saying he likes killing people, which nobody digs. And, and that, then that, the I think, yep, so, Yes, I'm just a good man. Eh, well, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Again, super serious, super emotional, and God. then funny. Matt, I just want to say I'm really enjoying watching these episodes with you because I mostly yeah. have seen the Firefly episodes solo, and I, I really laugh this much. I actually laugh more normally because I'm not focused on the commentary. Uh, here it comes. Yeah, and then yeah. finally the monster is revealed at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've grown. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the others are leaving. They're like, this is done. This is sad to watch now. I mean, I think. And that- <sighs> All right. Black Mark. I think that's another reason Nara joins the credit. She does feel only alive when up against danger. You know, it's uh God help you. <laughs> you. You have to rely on your winning personality to get women. God help you. <laughs> and then we get another comic beat. Yeah. You didn't have to wound that, man. I know. It was just funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. This ends up winning in the deal. Yeah, exactly. So ultimately, it all does sort of work out. And he it's sort of the message is even this world can be his world if he knows how to play it the right way. Yeah, I, I think, mighty fine shindig. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, there it is, mighty fine shindig. Yep, that's but, why. Uh, that's why something I you it said that. before made me think, man. That actually a, a choice that Whedon made that I'm not sure I would have made in trying to make some of the people likable in the uh, in the alliance territories is that if you have any sort of power, or money, you can just murder people, which seems to be against sort of the operative level control that you know what i mean like 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 that inara would be interested in a guy that we know has murdered 10 guys before it really doesn't make any sense but who cares i get the sense well one we know that parliament is fairly corrupt and i get the sense that these families have so much money that as long as they are just kind of screwing with each other and doing this kind of stuff the alliance doesn't care because it's far more useful to have them as resources they can tap. <laughs> I love and when they shoot run glass right up on the face. It's really hilarious. Right. No, no, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Because each planet is sort of its own watch. ecosystem. It was very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> each planet is sort of its own ecosystem in that sense. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, here we go. And this is it. This is the thing you don't get in any of the other shows out there. They're going to spend like two, a mi- one or two full minutes here with Kelly, just being Kelly. Mm-hmm. And we see her door, which she's decorated, of course. Right, Look with at the this. lights. Boom. And, okay, so yep. she starts going down. Now they're going to switch the camera into a different room, obviously, but it looks seamless. There is something childlike about Kaylee that's yes. not immature, but no. just, you know, she decorates her, her sign, looks like something she made in kindergarten arts and crafts. And, you know, this is her room. It's decorated, it's yeah. got her dress hanging up, it's got like little party favors and stuff on the wall there. And I mean, when they go back you know, to Shepherd Books Planet, 
after it's been attacked in Serenity and she sees the young boy on the ground dead. I mean, right. the look on her face just sums it up. And the thing is, she's not even surprised, but she's still disgusted. It's almost like she can control not letting the darkness in. Like, she's smart enough to let it in if she wants to, but she never lets it in. Uh, yeah, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That stabbed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he loves showing off to her. <laughs> yeah. But he also likes making her uncomfortable a little bit, you know? Yeah. Right here. Exciting new crime. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Jess, we definitely made crime a, uh, a fun party word, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's crime. Sometimes that's fun too. You know, it's, you know, if you think about it from a personality standpoint, these two XC work better than the other uh, than uh, Wash and Zoe in some ways. Well, I think it's interesting to watch something that is still very, very unstable and is melding and changing. Whereas Wash and Zoe might fight occasionally, but they are in a pretty stable place in their marriage. Um, my world, if it is that, you know, I wasn't going to stay. The what comes out of that confrontation between them is him pointing out to her is this what you want to do with your life even not knowing that inara might die at some point in the next few years it's is this really why you left sinan in the first place was to just go back into this world mm-hmm. you know all right why would i leave serenity can't think of a reason no. <laughs> that's great <laughs> And it ends with cows, and I uh, I just love cows. And the oh my God. you know just like the image of riding horses onto a spaceship is yeah. Firefly, cows in the hull in yeah. the you know, belly of a spaceship. That is. And by just, the way, that's a giant green screen shot. That's really hard to pull off. Make re- look real right there. They definitely didn't have yeah. the cows there. Awesome, man. This is a great episode. Uh, we'll jump to um, with the listeners to uh, um, a safe. And any final thoughts on this one? It's just an amazing episode from beginning to end. Yeah, this is really, I I hope, I'm pretty sure if you're listening to this, you've watched all these episodes before, but if you haven't, just get excited because we are now entering the best territory in this show. We are entering a string of really, really terrific episodes.